Thank you, Ricky, for that ministry in music. We're in the book of First Thessalonians, and we are appreciating its upbeat nature. It is a book that is filled with rejoicing and thanksgiving. And how upbeat our worship would be if we were more thankful and uh, praising our God for all that he has done, even as we were reminded of in that ministry of music. Turn with me, if you would, to First Thessalonians chapter 1, and we are going to be looking at Paul's expression of thankfulness for the Thessalonian believers. Paul's expression of thankfulness for the Thessalonian believers. Our text this morning is 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 2 through 5. As we look at this text, we're going to be focusing on Paul's thankfulness for the Thessalonian believers. And we begin by noticing that Paul expresses the, the source of his thankfulness. Paul directs his thankfulness to God as the source of his thankfulness. Notice verse 2. We give thanks to God. For God is the origin of all the blessings for which Paul is going to be thankful. Paul, God is the origin for all of the transformation of life and character that the Thessalonians are portraying. God is the one who is at work in their midst. And if you notice, if you have a New American Standard, verses 2, 3, and 4 are all one sentence. Now, if you have an NAS and if you have a King James, it breaks it up and puts periods in there. But uh, it really is one sentence and it is depicted as such in the New American Standard. And so, as Paul thinks about this, this thankfulness, it is directly related to the work of God. Thus, he expresses the thankfulness to God. Then, in verse 4, knowing, brethren, beloved by God, his choice of you. So, he's thankful to God for the Thessalonians because God has chosen them. God decided to do a work of grace in their lives. So, he's thankful to God for saving these Thessalonian believers. And then in verse 5, Paul knows that the Thessalonians give evidence of the Holy Spirit being at work in their lives. That's how he knows that they are chosen of God. How do we know we're chosen of God? Well, it's the fruit of the Spirit that is at work in our lives. Verse 5, For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. So they had full conviction. They were completely confident in the gospel message. And they received it not as it is the words of men, but they received it as the word of God as a result of the work of the Holy Spirit. So he begins by thanking God. God, thank you. For you have saved this people. Thank you. For your spirit is at work in these people. Thank you for what I see in the lives of the Thessalonian believers. Because God, you are to be praised. 
You are to be thanked. You are to be worshipped. We need to give credit where credit is due. And when we see spiritual development in the lives of individuals, it really is the work of God. And so Paul directs his attention first to God and expresses thankfulness to God for what he has done. Secondly, Paul expresses the objects of his thankfulness. He is thankful for the Thessalonians. Notice verse 2. We give thanks to God always for all of you. It is the Thessalonians for whom Paul is thankful. He is thankful to God for them, for the Thessalonians. And what we should see in this passage is that Paul is not primarily thankful for things, but for people. That he is expressing thankfulness for the Thessalonians as believers. And yes, their faith and their love and their hope. But he is thankful to God for them. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 19, Paul writes, For who is our hope, or joy, or crown of exaltation? Is it not even you, in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming, for you are our glory and joy? We take our joy in you. And you are our glory. You are our cause of boasting and giving thanks. And we're going to have presence. We're going to have joy in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ when he comes because of these Thessalonians. I'm sure you've heard the old adage, you can't take it with you. As one person has said, you never see a hearse pulling a U-Haul. We are not able to take all of our possessions and all of our wealth and all of our material things into the presence of God. That is what distinguishes the Christian faith from so many other faiths. You think of the Egyptian tombs and all the treasures that were buried in that tomb, thinking that 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 king was going to need these provisions on the other side. Having died, he would still use his money. Having died, he would still use his boat. Having died, he would still have all of these possessions and they were buried with him. We don't bury people with their wealth. We don't put tons of money in a casket because we recognize that it is impossible to avail ourselves of any of those things in the next life. They are meaningless, insignificant, irrelevant to our being with Christ. So we're admonished in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, 21. I'm sure you know the verses. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moss nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through or steal. So let me ask you a very, very practical question. How do you put money into the heavenly bank account? 
How do we invest in heaven? Lay up not for yourselves treasures on earth, but lay up treasures in heaven. What does that look like? What is that savings book? How do we, in a practical way, use our present resources, abilities, gifts, yes, monies, in a way that is profitable for eternity? How is that done? Answer, by investing in the lives of people. Investing in the lives of people. I said, you heard it said, you can't take it with you. That's true if you're talking about material things. It's not true if you're talking about people. And last week, we were in a passage in Thessalonians that says, we do not grieve like those who have no hope. Because we're looking forward to that time in which the Lord returns and the dead in Christ will rise and we will be together with the Lord. We are going to be in God's presence together. Look around. If we are seated next to a person who knows the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior and we know the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, we are going to be together for all eternity. And that's part of our rejoicing now. That's part of our giving thanks now. That is part of what we are rejoicing in now. So Paul is giving thanks, not for things, but for people. And in particular, the Thessalonians. Paul took great pleasure in life as he thought about the Thessalonians and their faith. In 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 18, excuse me, 1 Thessalonians 3, 8, Paul writes, For now we really live if you stand firm in the Lord. Now we really live if you stand firm in the Lord. Paul's saying this is what life's all about. This is what makes life great. This is wonderful. Have you ever said, ah, now this is life. Now this is living. What is the best things in life? What, what would cause you to sit back and say, wow, now, now this is life. Sitting on the seashore, being out in the boat, fishing, playing ball, shining your new car, sitting in front of a 60-inch television screen watching the Eagles win. Now, this is life. Paul says, man, this is life. It doesn't get any better than this. To know that you are standing firm in your faith to Lord Jesus Christ. That made his day. And there should be nothing that makes our day like knowing that people are in a right relationship with God and are going to be with him forever and ever. We should take no greater joy or excitement than that. So we ask ourselves in a very practical way this morning, what are we thankful for? When we go to pray, what do we thank God for? Well, I hope that we thank God for, for people. 
people in your life, people that have been significant, people that perhaps you've had the privilege and opportunity to lead to the Lord, or people that you've had the opportunity to teach Sunday school to or to influence in, in some meaningful way at work or giving your testimony, someone whose life you have impacted and those who have impacted our lives. And to be thankful for them in our lives. We should be eternally grateful to a God if our children know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. Thank you, God, that my children have made a profession of faith. Thank you, God, that they want to serve you. For He is the origin. He deserves the praise. And we acknowledge, though, that that grace and that mercy is manifested in the lives of people. And so we are thankful for them. We are thankful for them. We are thankful for our brothers and sisters in Christ. That is the essence of our thankfulness. Next, Paul expresses the medium of his thankfulness. That is, Paul thanks God in prayers. Look at verse 2. We give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers. Paul is not merely inwardly thankful or possesses a spirit of thankfulness. Let me say that again. He's not simply inwardly thankful or possesses a spirit of thankfulness. Rather, he verbalizes his thankfulness and articulates that thankfulness both to God and to the Thessalonians. He said, I thank God making mention of you in my prayers. He's speaking of the Thessalonians, probably mentioning some of them by name, and recounting what it is that they had done that prompted such great rejoicing in his heart and life. And we'll see that in just a moment. But you see, he is articulating that. He's expressing that to God, and then he's expressing it to the Thessalonians by means of this letter. He's telling them that he's thankful for them. He's telling them that he thanks God for God's activity in their lives. Obvious application. We should articulate thankfulness to God for people and communicate to others the fact that we do express that thankfulness to God. When was the last time you walked up to somebody and said, you know, brother, you know, sister, I thank God for you. You have been such an important influence in my life. You're, you're such an encouragement. You're such a good example. You're such a help. I just want you to know, I thank God for you. And I'm praying for you. It's wonderful to thank God. It's also important that we communicate that to others. What an encouragement. What a hope. What a comfort. And you see, this is a letter of great comfort. And it begins by Paul communicating his prayer life to the Thessalonian believers. Next, Paul expresses the duration 
of His thankfulness. Verse 2. We give thanks to God always. Emphasis on the word always. For all of you. Verse 3. Constantly bearing in mind. Constantly bearing in mind. Paul's thankfulness is not fickle. He is not thankful one day and then ungrateful the next. He's not rejoicing one day and then murmuring the next. He's not giving thanks one day and then complaining the next. But he is constantly, continually grateful for what God is doing in the lives of the Thessalonians. Does that mean they were perfect? Of course not. And we're going to see as we work on through this passage, not today, but in the weeks that lie ahead, that their faith need to be strengthened. It need to be encouraged. It need to be helped. And it even in some way lacked some things, it says. And that lack is not in its deficiency of quality, but in the extent of what they knew. And so they had to have further instruction. They weren't perfect. And yet there was so much to be thankful for. As we look around us, we're not perfect. But there's so much to be thankful for. For we can see the Spirit of God at work. We can see His activity in our lives and the lives of others. Which gives us great confidence for the future. For each other's well-being. Each other's progress. Each other's development. And so we're thankful. Continually. Because our God who began a good work in us will perform it to the day of Christ. There's always reason to be thankful. There's always reason to express to God appreciation for what He is doing. We ought always to be thankful for God's people. We ought always to be thankful for our church. We ought always to be thankful for its leaders. We ought always to be thankful for the Spirit of God at work. And then make it mentioned to the Lord and to others. Next, Paul expresses the occasion for his thankfulness. What is it precisely that he is thankful for? What is it that he mentions before God? He says, I mention these things. When I bear in mind, what are the reflections? What are the things that are coming into Paul's mind for which he is thankful? It's given to us in verse 3. Constantly bearing in mind three things. Number one, your work of faith. Number two, labor of love. And number three, steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's thankfulness is for the Christian qualities that are being manifested in the lives of the Thessalonian believers. Three qualities. Faith, hope, and love. And that triad is found repeatedly. I could have spent a message this morning in just looking at the passages 
that talk about faith, hope, and love. They are the supreme triad in the scriptures. The quintessence of what the Christian life is all about. It's about faith, it's about love, and it's about hope. And Paul is thankful because he sees faith, love, and hope in the Thessalonian believers. How does he see it? He sees it through their activity. He sees it through its expression. For notice, there is in each of these triads a modifier. Your work of faith, your labor of love, your steadfastness of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. What Paul is expressing is thankfulness that the Thessalonians have not merely made a profession of faith. But that that profession of faith is genuine. It's authentic. It's the real McCoy. It's not a cheap imitation. But they actually have had a work of grace done in their lives. That's why he says, knowing your election of God, knowing that you have full conviction, knowing that the word of God has been accomplished and accompanied by the work of the Holy Spirit. How does he know that? He knows that because their faith produces work. Their love produces labor and their hope produces endurance. It's alive. It's vital. It's real. They don't just talk about faith. They don't just talk about love. They don't just talk about hope. They live it out. It expresses itself in very demonstrable ways. Their faith produces work. Their love produces labor. And their hope produces a steadfast endurance. Faith is based on the assurance that God has acted for his people's salvation in Christ. Love is the present and continuing relationship between God and his people through Christ. Hope is bound up with the conviction that he who has begun a good work in them will complete unto the day of Christ. Last week, I took just the phrase. The hope of endurance. And traced it through the book of Thessalonians, emphasizing how that hope in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, in the resurrection, and in their being in the presence of God for all eternity, provided them a source of endurance in their present time. Now we're looking at them collectively and seeing that their work of faith, their labor of love, and their hope in Christ is demonstration that their profession of faith is real. That's what he's giving thanks. God has really done a work in their lives. And he's thankful for that transformation of character. These are a people of faith. These are a people of love. These are a people of hope. How do we know it? Because that faith produces works. And that love produces labor. And that hope produces endurance.
So what is at core or root of Paul's thankfulness is the genuine or authentic nature of their Christian experience. It is alive. And because it is alive, it also grows. It grows. Their faith is real, their love is real, their hope is real. I am briefly now going to focus on the first of the three triads. Namely, the faith. NIV reads, we continue to remember before our God and our Father your work produced by faith. Your work produced by faith. Last, work, last week, we looked at your hope, which inspired endurance. Faith produces works. Authentic, genuine faith transforms the life of individuals. It must, for it is the product of the work of the Holy Spirit. We are not saved by works, but we are saved unto good works. Let me say that again. We're not saved by good works, but we are saved unto good works. Listen to the words of Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. But then verse 10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God has predetermined beforehand. He has saved us for good works. He has saved us to do His will. He has saved us to transform us from a life of sinfulness to a life of obedience. Therefore, if He has really given us faith, Ephesians 2.8, if He's really given us faith, and that faith is not just the product of a human decision, but is really prompted by the Holy Spirit, then that person having that faith is going to produce works. Listen to the words of, of James. James chapter 2. Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. The demons also believe and shudder. Now that takes us aback. You say you have faith. Well, that's great. Well, the demons believe also. And they shudder. The demons believe that Jesus is the Son of God. The demons believe that he is the King of kings and Lord of lords. The demons believe in a coming judgment. Remember Legion? And they said to Jesus, why do you persecute us before the time? They knew there was going to come a time of judgment. The demons know all these things. What the demons don't do is repent. What the demons don't do is submit to the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is what saving faith does. Saving faith 
submits to the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not perfectly, but submits to the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. You can see over time in the lives of individuals whose faith is genuine a change. A change that's described in 1 Thessalonians 1.3 as a work of faith. The product of faith. What faith produces? Faith produces change. Faith produces change. The Thessalonians' faith and exploits were widely known. Look at verse 8 of chapter 1. 1 Thessalonians 1.8 For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith toward God has gone forth. Your faith toward God has gone forth. Everyone has heard about your faith. Everyone has heard how you're standing firm in the Lord. Everyone has heard about the persecution that's come upon the city of Thessalonica and how you have remained faithful to God. Everyone has heard of the transformation of your lives and character. You get to 1 Thessalonians 5, you realize there's still room for improvement. You realize there's still places to go. But the point is, there's been an obvious change in their having turned to God from idols. And he's thankful. For it demonstrates the reality of that faith. And the genuine work of God. Paul says, at the end of verse 8, so that we have no need to say anything. Paul says, I don't need to defend you to other churches. I don't have to defend your actions. I don't have to defend your faith. They don't have to take my word for it. Paul says, you know, I, I think these Thessalonians are really, really believers. Uh, I, I think their faith is genuine. I think that when they responded to the gospel, it really was as a result of the work of God in their lives. Paul says, I don't need to defend you. Your faith is spoken of throughout not only Macedonia and Achaia, but for regions beyond. People have heard about you and what you're doing. That doesn't mean that Paul didn't always speak about them. Paul writes to the Corinthian church and he says this about Thessalonica. Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, of which Thessalonica would be one. That in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much entreaty for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. Now listen to those words. Paul says, the church of Thessalonica begged us with much entreaty, 
begged us, Oh, please, Paul, won't you let us give to the church at Corinth? Oh, please, Paul, won't you take our money? When's the last time you heard of people begging to be able to give more? Paul said they were begging, even though they were in much affliction, even though they were in much poverty, they were begging that they would have the privilege of participating in this work. This is what God is doing. We want to be a part of it, said the Thessalonian believers. And this, not as we expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. Now, what in the world does that mean? When he says, not like we expected. Paul says, but their giving went far beyond. Far beyond what we think of when we think of giving. Because before they gave any money, they gave themselves to the Lord. They dedicated themselves to God. And to do His will. And so the giving was just a byproduct. The giving was just a natural outflow. The giving is just what happens when a person gives themselves to wanting to accomplish God's work and to do His will. Is it any wonder, Paul says, I don't need to talk to people about your faith. They can see it. They can see it. And so Paul is tremendously thankful. Conclusion. There is much to be thankful for when we see genuine faith at work in the lives of his people. Thankful that we've had the opportunity to share and be a part of it. Thankful when we see people standing firm in the midst of adversity. Thankful when we see people concerned and helping others. Thankful when we see the gospel is spreading. Thankful when people have good testimonies that are bearing honor and glory to God and are being well spoken of in our community. Such people bring great joy to our lives. And it's reason to be thankful. Thankful when we see faith at work in our children, students, loved ones, and friends. Thankful to our God who is in our midst. It all goes back to Him. Thank you, God, for what you are doing. And what you are doing is saving and transforming the lives of people. Thank you, God, for the lives that you have saved and the lives that you are transforming. Thank you for the faith and the love and the hope that is being produced in their lives, and then the qualities that that faith, hope, and love is, is producing, the activities that are taking place. So, let us develop the art of articulating that thankfulness. The next time you go to prayer, Take some time to thank God for what you see in the lives of some of your brothers and sisters. 
how encouraged you are. That child that made a profession of faith at age four or five, and you say to yourself, what can a child at four or five really know? I think a great deal. I think I was saved when I was five. But now to see the fruit of that in their lives. Thank you, God, for that continued interest. Thank you, God, that they are sensitive towards their sin. Not that they're perfect. Thank you, God, that I see them growing in their understanding. Thank you, God, for what you are doing. Thank you, God, for what you see in your Sunday school class as you watch the the children grow older. Thank you, Lord, for what we see in our families. Thank you, Lord, for what we see in our church. It's so great. It's, it's wonderful to see people in whom the Spirit of God is striving, who the Lord is working in. Thank you for the way in which you're forgiving and empowering and equipping and enabling. And let us encourage one another. And honestly, sincerely, walk up to one another and say, you know, I thank God for you. I thank God for that, that work that I see as a product of your faith. I thank you for the way you give your time. I thank you for the way in which you use your resources. I thank you for the way you take time for others. That labor of love. The way in which you do it so freely. Out of your love for God. Not in order to receive thanks or recognition. You do it because you love God and you love others. Thank you for that hope that I see in your life. That you've gone through some real adversity, but you haven't given up. There's been some great trials, and yet you stand firm in your faith. Brother, sister, thank you for being here Sunday after Sunday when I know it's not easy for you to be here. You have aches, you have pains. Personal struggles. Issues with family. All kinds of things that could detract from people's love and service for God, but yet they have hope. I thank God for you. I just want you to know, I thank God for you. For our church. Because as I look out, I can see faith that's producing work. Love that's producing labor. And hope that's producing endurance. Thank you, God. Let's pray. Our God, I, I pray that you would help us to be ever-increasing in our thankfulness to you. Lord, may we always give you the ultimate praise and honor and glory, for all credit belongs unto you. You are the author of salvation. You are the bestower of salvation. You are the keeper of salvation. Salvation begins and ends with you. Thank you for the salvation we enjoy. Thank you for the work of your spirit. 
And thank you for the way in which we can see it at work in the lives of others. Thank you for my brothers and sisters in Christ for their work of faith, their labor of love, and their endurance of hope. Bless us, O God. And may we know that we are appreciated by others. May we communicate that thankfulness not only to God, but unto one another. And may it prove to be a source of great encouragement and help and growth in our faith and our love and our hope. All to the glory of God, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.